Hey everybody, you're listening to localjobnetwork.com radio and this is You Do What? Now this is a podcast where we check out a variety of non-traditional jobs. Maybe they're a little different or just more exciting than your average profession. Regardless, we're trying to let you know you have plenty of opportunities to match your skills and passion to find that unique career. This time we're focusing on stand-up comedy, the men and women who just want to make us laugh. Now, considering public speaking is often the number one fear among people, this does take it up another level because you also, you know, need to be funny or you're going to receive some immediate negative feedback. With us from New York to talk about his profession is a comedian and writer. His name is Joe DeVito. In addition to performing at numerous clubs out east, you probably have seen Joe on TV on The Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson, Chelsea Lately, or even on NBC's Last Comic Standing. Joe, great to have you with us today. Hey, thanks for having me. First and foremost, as we always like to give our guests a, an opportunity, just tell us a little bit about your job, yourself, and, and maybe the industry as a whole. Okay. Uh, well, I first got on stage at the urging of my coworkers uh, about 12 years ago. I was doing um, advertising writing at the time, hmm. and I always liked being funny. I never knew that you could be a stand-up comic. Really? You know, I, I, <laughs> yeah, you know, it never. that was to me like if someone had said, like, well, I'm going to be an astronaut, you would have said, well, you know, it's not really something that that regular people do, but sure, sure. My, my friends encouraged me and we took uh, a friend and I took like a, a two session comedy class where they throw you on stage at the end and I survived and I thought, Oh, this is interesting. I would, I would like to figure out how this works. And after about two years of learning how to, you know, do the open mics and you do the amateur nights, I started to think, Oh, I might want to make a run at this. And I didn't, I didn't even really know what that meant. Sure. And then it, it actually worked out well because I ended up getting laid off from my corporate job <laughs> and thinking, all right, well, this is the, the push that I needed. And I freelanced for a while and paid my bills doing some writing on the side. And then in 2000, I guess it was 2006, whichever was season five of Last Comic Standing, the, uh, even though I, I didn't make the finals, but I made the semifinals, right. uh, that was enough exposure to get me to where I could start to close shows, and that's when you can start to make a living. Sure. Now, I mean, is that sort of the typical path? It's it's you're doing the open mics. I mean, are, are there a lot of schools that you can go to, classes you can take? I mean, how does that work if somebody listening kind of has the same thoughts you did? Like, hey, I can make this work possibly. Well, the the reality with comedy is that you can only learn how to do it on stage. Yeah. So you got to be prepared for a lot of work, and it's. I, I think if you were to look at it as a pyramid. Uh, the base is very wide because most people wash out in the first two years hmm. because it's not like with a guitar where you can sit in your room and practice, practice, practice. And then when you make your debut, you could be awesome. You could be virtuoso. With stand up, you can't practice it with the hairbrush in front of the bathroom mirror. It, it just doesn't work that way. <laughs> so you're learning in front of other people. So for the first couple of years, most likely you're going to be pretty bad. Yeah, how does that feel exactly? What those first, you know, year or whatever, where you're, you know, there are gonna be plenty of times where there's silence or yeah. maybe even jeering of some sort. But I mean, what what does that really feel like? Because people have a fear of public speaking as it is, and now yeah. you're essentially getting this feedback that you don't want. Yeah, well, uh, I'll say this: the good news is that when you start, you're usually so clueless that you don't <laughs> you don't even know how how poorly you're doing. Oh, okay. Because I, you know, a couple of years ago when I. I decided, well, I'm going to go through this huge pile of VHS tapes that I have and see what's worth, uh, you know, if there's anything worth converting to digital or just throwing them out. And to watch yourself in those early years, it it just, it's excruciating. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. (laughs) Yeah, because it's not so much that like, oh, you told a joke that wasn't, you know, was on only like a three out of 10 on the scale of funniest. It's more like you you just don't know what you're doing. (laughs) And when I say you, I mean me. Like, I did not know what I was doing. 
And yeah, it's tough, you know, and, I, and to watch it now, like, I had to put the, the videos on pause and get up and walk around and do some breathing exercises <laughs> and stuff. Because it's not, it would be bad enough if that was a video that you made with your friends or something like that. But it's like, oh God, I'm in a, I'm in a public place staking it up like this. But there's, there's no way around it. And I think that you've just got to push through that. And I think that's why, the, like I said, in the first two years, most people just can't handle that, mm-hmm. you know, which is, which is totally normal. You know, I'm not saying that that's, that's not a, a legitimate response. I always tell people, if you make it through the first two years, either you've got something or you're, you're too delusional to know that you should have quit. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's, that's a fair point. And that, that lends me to wonder what kind of personality really works in this type of industry, especially those early years. I mean, is there something you can point to that you would say, if you don't have this, don't even bother? I mean, obviously you have to have, you know, maybe some observational skills and, mm. and you know, at least believe you're funny. But uh, I mean, what, what skills, what personality would you point to that says, if you don't have this, you, you have no chance in this business? You, you got to be able to take a punch. You have to be able to stay determined in the face of overwhelming apathy <laughs> and sometimes outright disgust, you know, the idea. I mean, there's so many times where, you know, when you're first starting out, you do a lot of these little shows in the back rooms of bars. Mm-hmm. And it's oh, and it's funny how it's almost like Groundhog Day because the same things happen over and over where you're in a bar and someone sets up a mic and someone says, all right, well, we're going to start the comedy show. And they turn the TVs off and people are like, well, what? we're here trying to enjoy our evening. What is this? <laughs> entertainment that's sort of broken out around, you know, people are on dates and you're like, Hey, how's it going? They're like, we're on a date. You're ruining our dinner. What are you doing? <laughs> so yeah, you have to, you have to learn to, to push through that. I'd say uh, obsessive compulsive disorder is probably a big help. Yeah. I don't know how well that works, but can you explain how that, how that would help out? Oh, because you're, you're getting up in front of people and saying pretty much the same thing over and over ah, again. Gotcha. You no, know? it's that re- the repeat motion kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think the, the nature of what it takes to, develop and refine a joke it, it takes a long time and a lot of this you have to keep repeating the same steps over and over again now just talking to another comic about this last night about you know there, there's sort of some people want to act like comedians are tortured people and I, I don't necessarily buy into that i think that's a little bit people are being a little romantic when they say that but uh, i'll tell you this i think if you think everything's fine the way it is in the world you don't have a need to get up on stage and talk to people mm-hmm. So there, you have to sort of want to tell people, here's my opinion. You, uh, you have to listen to me. I mean, one of the things I like about it is that stand-up, I think, is one of the few forms of, I guess you'd even say, of, of media where I can get up and say, okay, for the next five minutes or however long I'm performing, you're going to see the world the way I see it. Right. And that's pretty cool when you think about it because you don't really get to do that any other way or any other format. And I always did wonder about that when you're trying to decide what exactly your routine is going to be like, what you're talking about. Uh, you know, is it part just entertainment? Is it part sort of that uh, social forum that you have to express your opinion? Are you are you worried about offending people? Do you do you let your family know, hey, I'm going to mention I'm going to mention you in this joke? Is that okay? I mean, how does that all sort of work and come together and and develop as you as you really try to hone your craft? Well, there's there's two different ways to look at that. There's the uh... I almost have to take a deep breath before I say the artistic side of it. Ah, yes. And then there's the business side of it. Sure. And now the artistic side is really where you sort of figure out what it is that you're going to talk about and and how you're going to do it and what your style eventually becomes. But the business side is if you want people to pay you, um, you have to provide something that they consider to be of value. And I think that's where some comics kind of lose their way because 
it's fine to say like, hey, no, I didn't get into this for people to tell me what to do mm-hmm. or have any parameters. And that's, that's totally cool. But then you hear them say, and why doesn't this club book me? It's like, well, no one needs to book you. Right. You know, if, if you want to be pure artist, then that's fine. But you can't expect people to give you money for that, <laughs> to indulge you. So you have to provide something of value. So for me, you know, you, you sort of find the balance. Because I know when I do a corporate event and they say work clean, I don't sure. get up there and say, you know, F you guys, I'm going to say whatever I say because it's not the correct place to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and sometimes comedians will complain about that, that, but to me, it's, you know, you took the gig, you didn't want the gig, could have turned it down. So you, you can't really have it both ways. Now, to me, the most fun, obviously, is when I'm in a comedy club and I'm free to say whatever I want. Right. But, you know, I also get a lot of, I, I like making people laugh. So to me, if people say don't curse and there's kids in the audience and I don't really have a problem with that. I've, I've developed an act that can, I can do that act. And, sure. and from the business perspective, working clean is the smart choice, I think. Well, and that's interesting you say that because, I mean, I, I listen to a lot of different comics and not just stand up, but, you know, talk shows, all that sort of stuff. And they talk about how it is they often say how difficult or more difficult it is to be funny when you are trying to be clean all the time. And one person that always gets brought up is Brian Regan. I'm, I'm sure you've heard of him, at least have seen of some of his stuff. Is it, do you find it more difficult to be funny if you have those parameters of being clean as opposed to no holds barred? I mean, it might just be a swear word. It might be something of a, you know, of sexual nature, nothing yeah. overt, but just the way you talk, the way you have that energy. I mean, is there, is there a, a sizable gap in the difficulty between those two? Uh, again, I think it depends on your style. Okay. For, for me, it's not really a problem. I think it might, one of the reasons for that might be, be, before I did this, I wrote, I did journalism, I did advertising copy and stuff like that. Sure. So I had the skill of being a writer. But if someone came to me and said, well, we have a client and you need to write some copy for this really boring product. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't just say, well, this doesn't appeal to me, so I'm not going to do it. Like, they would say, all right, well, then you no longer work here because that's right. what we've hired you to do. So to me, if someone said, here's, here's what the project is, and you apply your skills to it. So for me, it's not that big a deal. Now, there, there are guys that you can see in every comedy club around the country who are filthy, who, and I'm not saying they're not funny. They're hilarious. Right. But if you said to them, all right, do five minutes of clean material, they, they would not have anything to say. They mm-hmm. wouldn't be able to do it. So... For me, it's not that much harder. I mean, I always feel like if you have a clean act and you're in a situation where it has to be dirtier, you can always make a clean act dirtier if that's necessary. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I think, And I think, as you mentioned, the business side of things, since you kind of came from that corporate world where you have to make those adjustments and, and sort of limit yourself, I think I think that's a great point that you make there. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your career as far as the, the comedy side of things and, and doing stand-up. I mean, did you see Last Comic Standing as that as that uh, the big break? Did you have other gigs that to you maybe stood out, or you felt like you really sort of were making it, or you you turned the corner? I mean, what would you point to? Is there anything that stands out to you? I think the exposure from Last Comic Standing for me was what took took me up that that extra notch. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because when I did it, I think I was I guess I was about five years in. And, you know, I was starting to work, but I still had various day jobs and stuff. And it was, it was funny when I went for the interview, I, you know, I had a lot of jokes about working in an office right. and one of the judges asked me, Oh, did you used to work in an office? And I said, I'm on my lunch break right now. <laughs> I, I'm headed there as soon as we're done. So, I, I, you know, when I didn't make the finals, it's so funny. Like 
if anyone thinks reality TV has anything to do with an accurate representation of reality, you, you're really living in, in fantasy land. <laughs> because they do so many interviews with you that you start to think, I'm going to win. You know, like, <laughs> I started to think like, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, I made it as far as I, I should have made it. You know, I, I was glad that I made it to semifinals. And then, you know, I was not ready to, to be in the finals. Mm-hmm. But when you come home from that, like, oh, I was so depressed. Because you get yourself so psyched up. But a buddy of mine who'd done it the year before said, no, this is going to be a good thing, and people are going to see you on primetime network TV, and they're going to come up to you on the street and, and say nice things to you. And I was like, you're, you're nuts. But it was true. And, and, and I, it gave me a taste of like people who are really in the public eye, what it must be like. Because right after the show, you know, Midtown Manhattan, people walking up to me and not just saying, hey, did I see you on TV? They say, oh, Joe DeVito, you, you are a favorite. We, want, we wanted you to win. It was mind-blowing to Wow. Me. Is that something you, you get used to? I mean, have you, have you sort of been able to embrace that now, or is it still a little off-putting that people, you know, maybe know as much about you as, as a friend might or a family member? You know, uh, let me say it this way. Uh, it has not been a huge problem for <laughs> my career. That, you know, it's, uh, but, you know, you get the, the little taste of it, and sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Like, uh, sometimes I'll forget after a show, someone will come up to me and start talking about very personal things from their life. Hmm. A- and I'll almost be a little surprised, and I'll realize, like, oh, I've just been up there talking about myself for 45 minutes. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they feel like they know me, hmm. which is sort of the goal that you want, but it can be a little weird, you know? They, I mean, you know, I've had some online stalkers and, and some strange situations like that, <laughs> and you realize, oh, that's, that's what comes with performing for an audience. There's some, some wacky people out there. Now, as you mentioned, it's a it's a process, really. It's a progression for yourself and, and any comic uh, who's trying to, to make it in the business. When you're getting through those first couple of years, even when you got the big break and you're sort of turning the corner and you're and you're getting you know you're getting more work, that sort of thing. Yeah. What do you what do you do to try to improve? I mean, how do you really try to pick apart what you're doing and and develop it? Because as you said, you can't just essentially sit at home yeah. and and just practice, 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 but how do you really hone those skills or hone your style, that sort of thing? You have to write constantly and get on stage at every possible opportunity. And that is not only my recommendation. I've never met a comedian at any level of success who would tell you otherwise. Like you, There's no way around it. You just have to constantly be on stage. And I'm lucky that I developed in New York City and Long Island where there's a lot of opportunities for that. Sure. Because I've noticed as I've traveled that, not to slight these other comedy scenes, but a year developing in New York City, it really can equal two or three years developing elsewhere in the country. Mm -hmm. Just because the the amount of repetition required. Because when you think about it, um, unlike other cities in the world, in New York City, the, the top, the people at the top of the game in New York City comedy, they're the best comedians in the world. So it's kind of like saying, well, you're a good actor in, you know, St. Louis and you may be a fine actor, but when you move to L.A., the level of competition is is raised so significantly that you have to do the same. So I think New York kind of puts you in that pressure cooker. Right. I know for myself that, you know, I've been, you know, I've got TV credits and I'm, you know, I make a living doing this, but I still go to the open mics and the other comedians would be like, oh, you know, we didn't expect to see here. And I tell them, I need to be here. I need a place to develop the new material. If I were someone who every word that came out of my mouth was automatically a, a completed, finished, hilarious joke, 
then I would probably think it would be time to move on to something else. Like I don't, the, to me, the thrill is developing a new joke and having it hit, mm-hmm. but there's no way around it. You just got to keep grinding. And it's unfortunate because I, I think a lot of people, you know, like I said, the base of that pyramid is very wide. And, and once they realize, oh, this is not going to be easy, then they say, well, I'm going to go do something else. Well, Joe, we are going to have to wrap up part one of this edition of You Do What? But, of course, for all you listeners, be sure to check out part two of our interview with Joe DeVito, an individual who has found success in nobly trying to make others laugh. Just head over to localjobnetwork.com slash radio slash list. Type in You Do What? I'm a stand-up comedian in the search box, and part two will appear on your screen. If you want to get in touch with us before then, just shoot an email to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. If you have any questions or suggestions for any of our podcasts, you've been locked in to You Do What? here on LJN Radio. We'll talk to you later.